Welcome to My Car Guru, Season 11, Episode 111. Hey folks, and welcome to another edition of My Car Guru. I got a, a message from a listener the other day, and he said, Hey Lenny, saw one of your TV commercials. You look a lot older than you sound. Well, that's a bad way to start your day. But, uh, well, I guess there is some truth in it, though. I mean, I do have, I've been told, a somewhat youthful voice. I think that's from years of doing radio shows and television commercials and radio commercials and stuff like that. I'd like to know how many I've actually done over the years. But I'm pretty much over that. I enjoy the radio show. I don't enjoy commercials as much. You know, I can write a commercial you know, and I have to, I write them all, but but a 60-second commercial. So I'll just start writing, and I'll get done with it, and then I'll time it. It's almost always like 58 seconds. It's never over 60 seconds. Isn't it funny how your mind works, how it just kind of, it's it's got a program. It's got a groove that's been cut. It's hard to get out of that groove. That applies to a lot of the habits that we have, do they not? Aren't habits just grooves in our mind? And sometimes it's hard to get out of a groove or a rut. You know, somebody once told me, said, uh, the difference between a rut and a grave is that you can get out of a rut. So there is hope. So let's talk about ruts that have to do with your car life. Because you have a car life, you have a regular life, a total picture, you know, your big picture life. You also have a, a children life, if you have children, family life, you know, camping life. I saw a somebody going down the road the other day, a real popular sign that says salt life. Uh, I saw one hunting life. Well, one of the most important lives you have is your car life because take the car away and see how things go. I mean, you don't want to have to ride a bicycle like these people who lose their licenses because of DUI. I can't believe the number of people that ride bicycles now, and most of them look a little bit on the shabby side, other than, you know, the people who are doing it for exercise. I don't want to offend anybody, but I see a lot of people riding bikes, and, and I've been told by the sheriff's department and the police department, most of them lost their driver's license, but there are still a bunch of them that, eh, no big deal, I'm going to drive anyway. If I get caught again, they'll just put me back in jail. Great attitude, huh? So what kind of ruts do you deal with in your car life? One of the biggest ruts that I've seen is people overspend. They spend beyond their ability to pay for it. And then they have to cut back. It happens so easily. Uh, and it happens at a lot of car dealerships when people walk in and you know they're feeling really positive. They see something they really like. Oh, I just love that new yellow Mustang. And they... They can't bit more afford that Mustang than uh, anything, but they find a way. The dealership puts a lot of pressure on them, and they take it on a test drive, and they envision all these cutbacks that they can do on their budget, which they never do. Nobody does that. And then uh, they end up stretching the payments out for 84 months and coming up with some cash, you know, maybe their vacation money, Honey, we, we, maybe we can just stay home this summer, you know. And so they take that $2,000 and put it down if they were planning a $2,000 vacation. I don't, know, I don't know if you can do that. And so next thing you know, they're driving down the road in their new yellow Mustang, 
And then after making payments for three months, they realize that this is not going to work. Then they're in. I mean, that you talk about a groove, that's one of those grooves that's really hard to get out of because those cars do depreciate. And uh, an 84-month finance term, the payoff balance does not go down very quickly, especially if the interest rate is, you know, approaching 7, 8, 10% like they are right now. So that's a rut that is preventable. And it's really folks understanding, you know, what their personal financial situation is in their budget and what they can actually do. And don't go look at cars that you can't afford. You know, if, if all you can afford is a Toyota, don't go to the Audi dealership or the BMW dealership because you're just going to want one. You're human. That's what humans do when they don't have, um, I guess, some degree of self-control. And I, it's tough. I mean, I've been the same way. I'm, I'm not, you know, the only reason I know this is because I've been a victim of it myself with purchasing different things. I bought a camper once. I had no business buying a camper. I couldn't afford it. I think if, you shouldn't buy a camper if you can't pay cash for it. You shouldn't buy anything that's really fun. You know, that's, uh, you know, like a camper or a boat, maybe a motorcycle, things that are going to be a hobby. If you have to finance it, you shouldn't be buying it. I mean, buy your finance your car, finance your house, but don't finance your four-wheeler. Um, you know, a lot of banks make a lot of money on those, but that's just something that you shouldn't do. Well, I can't get one if I don't finance it. Well, then don't get one. Save the money. And that would be the best. That, that's what Dave Ramsey would tell you, not to put words in Dave Ramsey's mouth, you know, the financial guru. hope I don't get sued for saying that. But he would, he would want you to pay cash for everything. If you don't have the cash, don't buy it, even cars. But that's a serious rut that people get into. And let, let's talk about another rut that, that people tend to get into. Number one, they don't maintain their cars. They don't get in the habit of keeping a a schedule of taking care of their car. And that that doesn't just mean, you know, getting the oil changed and rotating the tires and that kind of stuff. It also means not washing your car and taking care of it. Cars depreciate a lot faster when they are um, not taken care of, you know, when you don't vacuum the carpet. You know, you have a big rainstorm and you leave the windows down and it gets all that that insulation underneath the carpet wet, you think the carpet's dry, it's not, and it starts stinking in about one week. And then you get used to that smell, but you go in and trade the car, and, and you know, the, the used car guy is repulsed by it. And so is he going to add value to your car, or is he going to subtract value from your car? That's right. He has to think about replacing that carpet because he knows that it's going to be expensive. And all you had to do was, you know, stick a wet back underneath there and suck all that extra water out, and it would have been fine. Take care of your car. Do you need to take it through a car wash? No, because if you do, it's going to scratch your paint. Wash it, you know, do like I did. I went to O'Reilly's the other day, bought two new wash mitts. Mine were worn out. Uh, what else did I buy? I bought some leather treatment because I was out of that. I bought some car wash for washing my car. Not, you know, you don't use Dawn to wash your car. I know it's it soaps up and fills up the container and everything, but you don't do that because it will damage your paint over time. 
So you wax your car and then you put Dawn on it and there goes all the wax. So anyway, these are all ruts that people get into, habits that uh, are not financially wise and they cause issues. You know, it's just like the guy that buys the antique car. And oh, he's always loved antique cars. And so he ends up buying one. And it's a project. And it's a project that never gets done. And he's got all that money tied up in that car that has boxes stacked all over it in the garage. You know who I'm talking about. Those of you, there are people out here listening right now that have that car in the garage, that uh, 62 Austin Healey 3000 that hasn't seen the light of day in 10 years. And now the engine's locked up, and uh, you know it needs all kinds of work just because you didn't maintain it. You should have never bought it. And secondly, once you bought it and realized that you weren't going to finish the project, you should have sold it. Oh, but someday I'll get around to it. You never do. You know, and there's it's so expensive to get cars restored now. Um, just go to car shows and look at them and enjoy them and ask somebody if you can drive one every now and then. Don't buy one. Um, now, unless you have the ability and the desire to stick with it and take it on as a project. I think it's a wonderful project, like for a father and a son or a daughter to go out and buy an old Mustang like you had in high school and fix it up. But get it done. You know, do it together and get set a target date that this car is going to be done, a hard, fast date. You know, by next spring, March 1, this car is going to be done. And, and just do it that way. And what you can't get done Yourself, make sure you schedule it with the people who can. I had to schedule an interior replacement on this 66 Mustang and, and also the uh, convertible top. I'm sorry, 65 Mustang. And uh, it, I had to wait six months before they could get me in. So I had to, to make sure I had all this other stuff done before he could even do that. And that's what you run into. You, you got to get the whole story. You know, if you want to powder coat your wheels or something, you got to make sure and see, well, when are they going to be able to get to it? Because I've been put off months and months waiting to get some wheels powder coated. So, you know, these things, you just can't snap your fingers and make this stuff happen. Uh, is that a rut? Maybe not, but it, it can be. It becomes something that you, well, it can actually become a grave if that car ends up eating your budget and it's something that you shouldn't have bought in the first place or it's taken up a lot of room in the garage. Okay, I'll take my first break. I'll be back here in just a minute. Okay, I am back. I tell you what, bad credit, being irresponsible with your credit, that's a rut. And it is totally unnecessary. And it starts at an early age, usually when somebody gets out of high school and they decide not to go on to college, which is fine. And they start buying stuff. They get a good job, they start buying stuff, and they put it on a credit card. Or they put it on a, you know, some type of a charge account, or they go to some, you know, high interest rate finance company and borrow the money to buy something for their car, and they just, you know, that they're not diligent as far as making the payments on time. And then the next thing you know, two or three years later, they're wanting to buy a new car, and they go to the dealership and they submit a credit application. Dealership looks at it and sees the limited job time, but adequate income. Say, okay, maybe there's some hope here. They have a couple credit cards, and they have a loan at this finance company. And so they submit the credit app. They come back as a 575 Beacon score. Uh-oh, 
they're not going to be able to get financed because they have limited income. And when you look at the whole picture, including the credit score, then that's why they're not going to be able to buy the new car that they want. So how does that happen? Well, it, it happens every month that they are late on the monthly payment and because they're spending their money on other things. You know, you make a commitment to finance something, then the bank, every time that you are late with that monthly payment, or if you skip a payment, it's even worse, but if you're late on the monthly payment, it goes against your score. And plus, every time that you file for a new credit card, you know, to keep keep uh, kicking that can down the road, you know, you can't pay this one, so you file for another credit card, and then you get another credit card. And then you can't get a credit card or you can't buy a car because you've had so many inquiries on your credit that uh, you scare off the lenders. We had a, a lender get scared off the other day because a guy had so many inquiries um, to his credit by other places that were trying to sell him something. And so we couldn't get him done because of that. So that's a bad rut to get into. So where do they teach it to, I guess, how to avoid that? Well, they don't teach it in school. The only place they're going to learn it is if they have parents who are responsible with their credit. Of course, you know, throughout your life, uh, if you've been irresponsible, do you think your kids don't see that, don't know it? You don't don't hear you and the husband talking about, you know, the credit card bills and the, the uh, late car payments and stuff like that. They hear that. And you would think and hope that, that some of them, you know, don't want to be like that and they want to improve. But, you know, sometimes their habits become, or your habits become their habits. It's like a legacy. But if you have a legacy of responsibility and they see that on a regular basis in a lot of different ways, then maybe that will... Uh, that will actually influence them in, in their financial world. You know, I was talking to somebody the other day that, that's a teacher, and she said, you know, they just don't teach anything about uh, bank accounts anymore, checking accounts, savings accounts. They used to teach people how to, how to balance a checkbook. That was, I went to, when I was in high school, now, I can't remember what class it was, but they showed us how to do that. And one of the best things my dad did for me is when I went to college, um, he signed a contract with me that I would come back into the dealership uh, when I got out of college. So that allowed the dealership to pay for most of my college education. The The one caveat was that I had to be very diligent with my record keeping because the dealership could not write off these expenses for my education if they didn't have records. So if I went to McDonald's, I got a receipt and I stuck it in my pocket. If I bought a pencil, I got a receipt. And then I turned in those receipts every time I came home to his office manager. And, uh, you know, she checked my checkbook and all that stuff and balanced. I mean, I balanced my own checkbook, but she reconciled it is what I'm trying to say. And so that taught me a great discipline. I did that for four years at the University of Tennessee and actually graduated like I was supposed to. From then on, there, was, there were no issues with me and I, as far as financially. I didn't have enough money you know, to for a lot of the things that I wanted. But, you know, I, I developed that discipline. How many people are getting that now, young people? You know, what I see is, is a lot of young people using debit cards. And, you know, they put a little money in account, and, and they never know what's going on with that account. They don't look at it. They don't look at it online. Not everybody. But are your kids looking at their account? Are they reconciling their debit account, you know, their bank account? 
I mean, we used to do that. Remember when we used to get bank statements and reconcile just to make sure that nobody was taking money out of our account that that shouldn't, including the bank, you know, that there weren't fees in there or whatever. I mean, I've cut mistakes on my checking account before. You can't catch them if you don't reconcile. Do your kids, do your grandkids know how to do that? If they don't, that's a mistake. Do they understand what a credit score is? Do they understand um, or what a beacon score is? You know, do they know, have they ever heard of Experian? You know, have they ever heard of some of these other credit rating agencies? Do they know the difference between a credit union and a bank? Have they ever, you know, figured payments on something? You can go online, bankrate.com, and you can calculate mortgage payments. And, you know, you put the interest rate in and the amount financed and the down payment and so forth, and you can see how that works. You know, sit down with your kids or your grandkids, and show them how that works. Show them what an amortization schedule looks like on a on 60-month contract financing a $30,000 car plus tax plus fees for 60 months and just print out the schedule and show them what happens to the balance. Show them how the interest, the interest charge goes down and the principal uh, amount going to the principal goes up. You know, so they're paying off their vehicle the longer they keep it. They're paying more towards the principal and less towards the interest. Do they understand that? Do you understand it? You know, it's kind of hard to explain something if you don't understand it. It'd be like my grandkid asking me, say, help me with this algebra. I used to be able to do that, but I can't do it now. Multiplying fractions and all that stuff. I lost that. I use a calculator. So do they. You know, these are th- just things that we need to be able to do for our kids because if if we don't, then they won't be responsible going forward from a financial standpoint, and that's a big part of their life. You know, I talked about car life and salt life and all that other stuff. What about financial life? Uh, because that's going to make a difference for them going forward. Okay, I'll take my last break, and I'll be back in just a minute. Okay, I am back. So most of these ruts are avoidable. They don't have to, you don't have to fall in one, but if you fall in one, you got to know who to call and how to get out of it. You know, if I'm having a problem with a, a loan, you don't just wait till the letters come and stuff. You go down there and you talk to the loan officer. You go to the bank and, and tell them, this is what my plan is. This is what I'm working. Help me figure this out. Sometimes they will, uh, they will make accommodations for you. You know, maybe they'll take that loan and make it interest only for a certain period of time. But I'll tell you what, if you miss about three months of payments, the whole ballgame changes. It's too late. You know, you let them know in advance, say, listen, I'm having a hard time. I got laid off at work, and I've, I'm having a hard time with my other bills, and I'm just going to have to slow down here with this one. I want to make it good. I don't want to file bankruptcy, and so can you help me? They'll help you because it's in their best interest to keep the loan good. And so sometimes you just ask, but too many people won't do it. They think, well, you know, they'll ju- they'll just, you know, hit my toes with a ball-peen hammer or something. They're not going to torture you. They're going to work with you. And too many people don't understand that. You know, if you go to a car dealership, you want to buy a car, and they said, really, I'm sorry, you're just not going to qualify. Go to a private office and say, will you please explain to me what I can do to fix this. Because a lot of the people at the car dealerships, they know how to fix these problems. They know they can review the credit report with you and, and tell you what you need to do. You know, I've actually heard of dealerships 
that if somebody comes in and they have, like they're just killed in a car, they're, they're way upside down on a car, and they can't trade because they have such a huge balance, the dealership or the salesperson actually tells that customer, why don't you just let that one go back? We'll go ahead and finance this car for you, and you just let that one go back. They're actually salespeople, finance people, that will try to convince customers to do that. Do you know why they want to do it? Because they don't care about you. They care about selling the car and making the commission. They know that that will destroy your credit. And it's probably even illegal for them to do that. But they do it anyway. I've heard of it, and I've seen it. Not in my dealership, but I've seen it happen to other customers. Well, he told me I would just need to let this go back. I mean, I've had customers come in and they're thinking about buying a car, and, and you know they're way upside down. We say, we're not going to be able to do anything. You say, well, the other guy just told me just to let it go back. What? No, you don't want to do that. You want to go to the bank and figure out what you can do to, to make this good so it doesn't destroy your credit. So you got to watch out, I guess, who you're listening to, who you're getting your advice from. You know, that's one of the reasons I do this. I've been in this car business for 45 years. If I don't have the answer, I can find it. I truly believe that this is what God wants me to do. I've got expertise in the car business, and I can help people who are struggling with their car life and with financial decisions and stuff like that. I just feel like, you know, that there are plenty of people out there that have knowledge, ex-bankers, ex-lawyers, uh, ex-doctors, you know, who can reach out to the public and, and do something for free. I don't get paid to do this. I'm not being a martyr here. Uh, but I, I, I do feel that there are more people out there than you know that can provide good advice. You might have a good financial planner that lives in your neighborhood that's retired, and he could turn your whole situation around. You never know if you don't know your neighbor, right? And a lot of people don't. Well, thanks for listening to this edition of My Car Guru. I will be back tomorrow.